from the dawn of time we came. (laughs) 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 Moving silently down the centuries. Living many secret lives, struggling. It sounds like he's recorded this in his bathroom. This is one thing I've always... Anyway, we'll talk about it in a second. Struggling to reach the time of the pod gathering, when the few who remain will pod till the last. No one has ever known we were among you. (laughs) Until now. Oh my god, I love this. I love it so much. It's so cheap. It sounds like they want Sean, we need a voiceover for the beginning of the uh the, the movie Highlander. And Sean's gone, Well, I'm fuck it, I'm in the Bahamas now. And they go, Well, is there anywhere you can record the voiceover? Well, I've got a bathroom and he goes yeah. to his bathroom and he records it in there, which is why it's so echoey. Anyway, hello pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to, oh this is very fun and exciting, every now and again we do a retro spoiler podcast dedicated to a classic movie, Um, classic movies like Event Horizon and now of course Russell Mulcahy's classic, I'm going to keep saying that word until it sticks, 1986 movie Sword and Sorcery Abound, it is of course the one, the only Highlander Never sequelized, as far as I'm aware, and never diminished by inferior knockoffs, <laughs> copies, and TV shows. And joining me to discuss this movie in all its decapitated glory are two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Helen O'Hara was going to be here, but she has just run a marathon and cannot do it, uh, which is a disgrace. But anyway, I'm joined by Dan Jolin of The Clown. Jolin. Hello, pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the one upsetting. man it's very upsetting and the one man Kirk and Tribute Act that is James Dyer of the Clan Dyer oh thank you very much I am actually not I'm an Egyptian pretending to be a Spaniard pretending to be a Scotsman <laughs> pretending to be James so it's you peacock <laughs> you're a Spanish peacock I'm a Scotsman I'm Egyptian <laughs> that's not problematic at all Sean oh <laughs> uh, this movie uh, it's 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 so much it's so much movie isn't it it's all the it's movie it's a lot of movie it it's is everything. a lot of movie. It's everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> it really is. It's the original, it's a prototypical yeah. everything everywhere all at once. Uh, it's it's history crammed into a hundred glorious minutes. It is an absolutely batshit insane movie <laughs> that I think all three of us love yes. deeply. Um, and even though, you know, I think over the years we've had various epiphanies yeah. when it comes to its quality but nevertheless our love for the movie remains undimmed and undiminished and uh, there is a brand new 4k remastered and restored version of this that has just come out on blu-ray in the uk full disclosure i wrote an essay for that um full other disclosure dan here as a result of that spoke to russell mulcahy i did and you're going to hear that right now before we get into the movie how was he dan Oh, he was great. I mean, actually, that was the second time I've ever spoken to him. And the first time I ever spoke to him, I think, was my first ever, inter- first or second ever interview as a professional, in inverted commas, journalist, uh, way, way back in, wow. ni- in early 1998. Um, and I was talking to him about the film Talos the Mummy. Um, oh, my God. Which, which and, and most of my questions centered on the fact that that film starred... Um, the, the the people that played uh, Arthur Fowler and Christine Hewitt, your uh, your relative Chris, um, in in EastEnders, and they popped up in a cameo 
and were killed by the mummy. Bill Treacher. <laughs> Bill Treacher. Bill Treacher and recent, Lizzie, recently, yeah. recently depart, departed. Yep, and Lizzie Aspel, who also Lizzie Aspel. Lizzie Aspel. Yeah, the uh, the the wife of uh, Michael Aspel. Anyway, bit of bit of bit, no bit way, of no way, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. We should get Michael Aspel on this podcast, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's good at chatting. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, total tangent. But anyway, so there was this weird, for me, there was this kind of weird, so partly there was a bit of a sort of a, a nostalgic flashback to that, but partly it was just indulging the nostalgia of my teenage self who absolutely loved Highlander. Because mm. as, as anyone who knows me knows that if something involves men with long hair and, and swords, I am in. You know, I'm whatever Conan the Barbarian to Game of Thrones, all the way through Highlander. Um, that's 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 my world. Um, so yeah, I I um, I absolutely um, uh, loved that film as a kid. So it was just it, it was just really fun talking to him about it. And uh, I, I, the thing was, I think he thought I was trying to draw him into a trap of talking about Highlander two, <laughs> and, and he, it was quite funny. He was, he was all, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. So I was like, all right, well, I, I wasn't actually trying to. I was going to more kind of go into that, the legacy of the film. But the amazing thing is he can't leave it alone. He's just like, it's like he's like pick, picking at a scab of his own career with Highlander 2, <laughs> you know, and, and he, he just kept saying, yeah, it was terrible. And, they go, and then it turns out they're all from this other planet and everything. And I'm like, I wasn't Zeist. even asking questions. <laughs> yeah, the planet Zeist. Have you seen, Dan? Have you seen the Renegade car of Highlander 2? I haven't seen it. I, I brought it up. I mentioned it. You know, because I thought it meant that he'd made his peace with it, and he went no. So, so um, you know, I, but I haven't seen the Renegade cut. Have you? Oh, it, yeah, well, a long time okay. ago. It's significantly better, as I recall it. All the alien stuff is removed, so none of the Zeist stuff features. So, is it five minutes long? <laughs> no, no. This, just, I think it's longer. But they've they've kind of done a bit of tweaking here and a little bit retconning there, and it's sort of it tries to be more of a Highlander film as required. I remember, I remember seeing because we did a big piece on on sort of special editions on the site, and I remember watching it for that, thinking, Do you know what? It's still genuinely dreadful, yeah. but it it's significantly less dreadful. So there you go, damning with thank right. It's no Highlander three, the sorcerer, but you know right, yeah. what is what is. Uh, um, isn't it called the magician as well? Isn't it? It's got different names. I believe it does have different names. Yes, yeah. and there's also Highlander Endgame and Highlander the Source, but I think those are both Adrian Paul films yeah. rather than Christopher Lambert films. No, Endgame's a Marvel movie. I remember <laughs> seeing it in cinemas. All right. Well, listen, I haven't listened to, uh, to this interview with Russell Mulcahy yet, but uh, from the sounds of it, Dan was asking nothing but questions about Highlander two. Yes, <laughs> Dan, as ever. <laughs> understood the assignment. I honestly, <laughs> so here we go. Send me a brief, and I will just shit on it. <laughs> Here's Dan talking to Russell Mulcahy about Highlander. Enjoy. As a teenage boy, I think Highlander was probably one of the um, movies I rewatched more than any other. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of, of, of Highlander. As, as a, I'm going to say, around a 15 years old. So it was a couple of years after it came out. I was watching on VHS. But uh, so I, I'm very excited to, to to be speaking with 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 you, Russell, uh, <laughs> about this uh, this this classic of my youth. Um, do do you get that kind of response a lot from people? Is that usually the you know the the entree into a conversation about Highlander? <laughs> Uh, it is. Um, uh, the the film um, has quite a, a sort of a lukewarm openings uh, theatrically, especially in yeah. the US. Um, uh, and then it was obviously made a bigger hit in 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 France and Europe. Um, but then it just uh, it, it gained an audience. It gained an audience on the VHS tape, 
Um, and like you said, you've watched it many, many times. Yep. And I think a lot of VHS tapes were sort of worn down and got fuzzy because, uh, yeah, it um, it definitely grounded an audience in the in the video time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so for you then, the very, win- lo- very, very loyal fans. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is this is the thing. I mean, we'll, we'll come on to this uh, in, in a little bit. I think, all, you know, every, everything in the right order here. So, but um, you know, in terms of the legacy of the film, and I, I guess in you know the quite surprising legacy, one some some might argue. Um, but but let's just just to start with this 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 first movie. You know, obviously that's the main reason we're talking. How how did Highlander come into your life? You know, what and what drew you to it as as material for your second feature? Uh, after Razorback, my first film, um, I then went back to England and I carried on doing music videos um, for, you know, Elton John and Duran Duran, Rolling Stones and all the Billy Joel. And I was just immersed myself back in the video world. Um, and I happened to do another video with Duran Duran, the Wild Boys. Yeah. For e- EMI. Uh, and they loved it. Uh, and they basically... Asked Bill Peter Bill Panzer and Peter Davis to contact me because they were basically making the movie Highlander, hmm. and so it was really through my video work um, that I was offered the film. Uh, I had a meeting with Bill and Peter. We we kicked it off, and it was and I was offered the movie. It was very unique. That, I don't think that would happen these days, but it was a it was the eighties. And they gave me a lot of freedom um, because uh, they, I think they wanted something a little different. Hmm. I mean, it is, a, I mean, a fantastic concept. I mean, I don't think you can get away just from the, the, the simplicity of the idea, but the, just, just the way it works so well. And it was, it was the writer, Gregory Wyden. Am I pronouncing Gregory that right? Wyden, he, wrote, he wrote a thesis, basically a thesis screenplay called The uh, Dark Knight. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> Funny enough, and um, and then that was then uh, worked on by Peter you know, Peter Bellwood and uh, Larry Ferguson, um, and that's where I came in. But yeah. I mean, I remember reading Gregory's uh, screenplay; it was fantastic. It was really about the Kurgan, and he was more the centre fold of the of the story. Right. Um, but yeah, there's a had, had a great seed there. But I mean, there there are so many sort of. Um, like amazing visual touches in this film. So, for example, one thing that always gets me, and I, I rewatched it yesterday, um, and 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 I, I, I remember being impressed by this, you know, as a kid at the time. But even now, just the transitions, the way you kind of seamlessly move between New York in right. the '80s and 16th century Scotland, you know, whether it's up through the roof of the car park into the Highlands or right. via the fish tank into the loch. Right. You know, yes. I, so when 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 you were you know first looking at, at Gregory's script, were you already sort of, you know, seeing how this might work in terms of cutting between timelines? Yeah, and... Yes, very much so. I mean, um, the film very uh, does do that time transition, and I felt that if they're not handled carefully and creatively, um, mm. then they'd be jarring. So most of them were planned. During the shoot, uh, for example, the car park was totally planned. So when we went to Scotland, we built a bit of car park wall, which we then craned up from into Scotland. Oh, wow. Um, so those ones were, were planned before we started shooting. 
um, and storyboarded. Other ones, for example, um, there's a one where he's he's expelled from the uh, village and he he falls out against a rock and has a close up of his face and dissolves to a Steppenwolf poster in New York. Yeah, and then it tilts down for him walking in the streets of New York. That one was we were sh- scouting in New York or shooting in New York, and I saw that that um, that painting on the on the wall. Yeah, and we're going to shoot. And I said, okay, well, close up of that pan off to Christoph. So then we went back to England and did a quick pickup of Christoph close up against the rock. That was an that was never shot originally. But it was so we shot the we, that was like a reverse sort of thing where we said, "Hang on, this will make a great transition." Mm. Uh, so yeah, it was a process, but a very conscious process. Yeah. Oh, cool. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's talking about Christoph, there, uh, you you spend a lot of time close in on on his eyes. I, you know, again, this is a rewatch observation. I'm just like, oh yeah, Absolutely. there's a lot of time on his eyes, but of course Absolutely. he. He's sort of rather famously quite myopic, isn't he? As well, so yes, that's why he's yes. he's got these well, amazing eyes because <laughs> he can't see. Well, that, that 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 was the story of Christoph about the casting of Christoph. Um, Sean Connery was already signed, and I remember being in the studio in, in the office um, in at Gower Studios, and uh, going like I was with Peter and, and Bill, and going like, "Who's going to play Highland? We've got Sean Connery. We don't have a Highlander yet," and. I'm flipping through a magazine and I come across this photograph and it was Christoph from Greystoke. And he had these eyes, these broodings of timeless this gaze. And I said, this is the guy. He couldn't speak a word of English, hardly any. And so, but he was just <laughs> perfect. He was like, I, I believe this guy lived many, many lives. So yes, he, he his eyes were hypnotic, and yes, I did concentrate on his his eyes. <laughs> I, I I do love the the audacity of the casting choices there, and I know I'm not the first person to say this, but you know, casting a Frenchman as a Scotsman and casting a Scotsman, Scotsman as, as, a as an Egyptian, <laughs> or Egyptian Spaniard. Spaniard. Yes. Yeah, I mean, was was there was that, that's got to have been a conversation at the time, no, right? No one, yeah, no, no one really questioned it. Um, only because these guys have lived many lives. Yeah. So therefore, you know, he could have lived in, you know, wherever uh, so over those hundreds and hundreds of years. So, um, and that, that, and I think that's why was, uh, that's why the line in we put that line in the script where the cop says, "Where are you from?" and he says, "Many different places." <laughs> um, and yeah. So, you, but at that point, then you understand. Okay, we'll just buy it. I think I think that's my favourite line in the entire film. Actually, that is just that this is there's just this immense cornice to the way Christoph uh, delivers it. That sort of yeah. lots of lots of different places, you know, kind of. Yeah, and, exactly. You go okay. Yeah, and he and he sort of and of course he is saying it in this accent he's got, which is kind of it is everywhere and nowhere. It's 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 really strange. Yes. Yes. Uh, but that, that, yeah, and and how did so? How did he and and Connery get on? And and how was Connery as as a presence then during this uh, during this? Oh, film? Connery, Connery was a, was wonderful. Um, we only had him for like seven days, I think. We did a lot of, for example, I mean, when I'm shooting Connery up in Scotland, I I, I would be shooting over Christoph's shoulder, 
onto Connery. And I didn't have time to go over Connery's shoulder to Christoph because I was wasting Connery time. That was it was gold time, you know. So <laughs> I'd have to go and shoot Christoph over a double. So a lot of close-ups of Christoph is he's acting against the sun guy. Um, but 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 Sean really took Christoph under his wing in a way. I mean, he it professionally, mm. it was like yeah, those two really worked worked well together. Um, there was a there was a real bond. So there's a, yeah, and what you see on screen actually is what was happening. It was, it was, it was, it was good. Wow, wow. So the the whole sort of mentor apprentice kind of relationship yeah, was, yeah. was yeah, yeah, yeah. It, okay. it, it, it was just um it just came naturally and it was like off camera too. Right. Uh, and, and and how was it for you though? Because obviously, you know, by this stage, you're a veteran of music videos, but this is yeah. just your second feature film and, and obviously uh, you know, it was raised about previous to this. Was 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 Connery kind of, I don't know, f- forgiving or you know, was he kind of good yeah. with you as well? Or or was he a bit more like, you know, don't don't waste my fucking time kind of thing? No, 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 no. No, he was um he he's a complete professional and um and was willing to take risks and sort of in, just you know, I think he just loved his costume. He loved he loved the um he just loved the character so much, and he was just in, in it for the ride. He he just he never complained once. He took direction, uh, and he had ideas, and it was all. It was, it was just a, a good. Um, I have not a bad word to say. Uh, um, yeah, very very professional. There was only there was only one day um, where it was actually at Connery's first day, and it was in the Ford when when the Kurgan breaks through the door. Oh yeah. And, and it was rehearsed and Clancy was meant to sort of break the table in half. And by the time he gets started shooting, Clancy was all worked up. It was his first day and he was like all very tense. Sean Connery was like, oh, my God. And so he bursts through the door. It's all one, 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 one take. He bursts through the door but doesn't break the table in half. He swipes across it and the candelabra goes flying over the crew's head. Sean goes, oh, what the fuck? And <laughs> sort of like left the sage. Oh, wow. um, and just said, you know, get your shit together. <laughs> um, so we, did, yeah, and and Clancy apologised, and he was he was really upset. with that. it was another good first day, um, but then everyone sort of like, okay, and it was all good from then. I thought, I thought, I did. I saw, I saw Sean stormy off stage, and went, oh my god, I've just lost Sean Connery. What the fuck? <laughs> but no, it's all, it's all good. Oh, few, few. But I mean, uh, you know, speaking then of, of Clancy, I mean, he really gave us a kind of a cult '80s villain with uh, with the Kurgan, um, oh, yeah. or, or Victor Kruger, depending on how yeah, you yeah, prefer yeah. to call him. Um, so, so how I know how 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 was he in the mix here? I mean, uh, and it's interesting what you said about the original script being more about the Kurgan. So I don't know if uh, you know maybe he by the time he came in he wasn't expecting it to, to, to be a more central role but yeah no 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 he was he was good he was good i met um i met clancy again i was when i was filming the wild boys at shepparton um on, we were on stage c and clancy was on stage h doing the bride with sting right and i'm filming i had i remember because i remember i had um Samuel bond on the windmill spinning around and then Sting turns up in costume on stage and goes, "Oh my God, this set's bigger than ours." <laughs> and and then I then I was introduced to uh, to Clancy, who played the the Frankenstein monster. Um, 
and such a sweet guy. And, uh, and yeah, he just got into the role of the Kurgan he, religiously. He uh, he owned that role. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, some of the stuff is improvised, you know, especially the stuff in the church um, with the nuns and all that. Um, I did wonder. I did wonder whether the 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 the, the hand licking the priest's hand was yeah. was in the script, or whether that was just a clancy. I think uh, he was meant to just kiss the. <laughs> no, he was meant to just kiss the hand, but he did a right. whole you know tongue lick, um, just to make it more delicious. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's a, it is a delicious scene. Um, yeah, I don't think yeah. the uh, the church that read it. I don't think they quite knew what was going to happen there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but they needed the money actually. So, well, it's an incredibly heretical film, I think, just just beginning to end. So, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> that don't, as you say, if they needed the money, then fair enough. <laughs> yes, that, absolutely. Just turn, yeah, turn 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 a blind eye. Okay, yeah, take, yeah. take the check. Thank you. <laughs> so, I mean, I you know, you, I thought you really brought the sort of the, the style and the energy of your music video work to this film, and it's it's interesting because the, this was a a period, uh, I, I think it came a little later, where directors were moving from music videos into mm -hmm. into cinema. I think Adrian Lyon had kind of already made the move around this time, but but yeah, not so much that you know, not so much the likes of Fincher or um, you know uh, uh, Bay or you know sort of like uh, other directors. So I, you know, I think I think there's a lot of this that's in Highlander that, to my mind, came to define a lot of what action movies did for decades afterwards. You know, in terms of the way it was cut, in terms of the way you mm -hmm. use tracking shots, in terms of the lighting, you mm -hmm. know, did you did you were you feeling at the time you were doing something new and different? I mean, w was there even feedback from the studio like, what are you doing here? You know, because this isn't how these films usually look. Or yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of it came from my my. Uh, I mean, I was really basically directly out of making videos, and then which is visual storytelling. Hmm. You know, you know, with a, with a song, but but you basically try to tell a story um, with visuals. So uh, yeah, a lot of that was just naturally just came to me. And yeah. I remember, on, like, and on, on, on day one or two, we had Jerry Fisher, wonderful DP, but he started sort of putting bounce lights and this light, this light. And eventually, I couldn't even pan the camera. It was like, oh my god, this is so constrictive, and you know, I'm a bit claustrophobic anyway. Mm. Um, and so the next day, I just said, "No, look, let's not do any of that. Let's just use these patchable fluoros and then flash them, and you know, just like go a little crazy." And, and yeah. I got into, and so we shot. And he thought this is going to be screwed, but then he saw the rushes, and he loved them. And so he just again joined the party and had yeah. a great time. <laughs> um, you know, throw the throw the rule book out a little, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, the thing about the movie is that I was surrounded also. This is only my second film. But I was surrounded by really great, great talent, um, like Joey Fisher, um, you know, uh, Michael Kamen, the composer. Yeah. Oh, for God's sake, I had Queen. Well, yes. And Alan Cameron, the production designer, who who's just done extraordinary work in other movies. But, um, yeah, so I, I, had, I had just really grounded, Talent, talent, talent. People yeah. around me. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Queen. We we we, oh, yeah. we can't oh, we Queen, can't yes. we have to talk about Queen because I I I didn't I didn't realize this. This was kind of like my kind of 
oh really kind of moment on wikipedia just the you know yesterday going hang on marillion were originally lined up or something like you know according to that i mean was that true was it going to be marillion and then you had to pivot and it's like who can no, we get and then, no, and no, then no, what, no, you, no. you get queen <laughs> no queen, no no because i mean i again for me i'd met i'd met uh the boys in passing just socially before um and my partner in, in my we had a video company with David Mallet and myself and Brian Grant. And Mallet had already done a number of videos with Queen. He was, you know, their guy. So right from the top, I said, you know, and I loved Flash Gordon. Yeah. I loved their work on Flash Gordon. <laughs> so I said, you know, we've got to get Queen. So we put together a 20-minute reel of very few scenes. And um, invited them in. I thought we'd get one song. And they sat there. The, all the band came in. They watched the 20 minutes. And they came out and they said, we're going to, we got five songs. Right? <laughs> yeah, we're all going to wow. write a song. Um, and it was just like, that was my, one of my best days, the, the, the most happiest days. And then I heard that. And, and, and the other great thing with not only, not only did they do some just beautiful, beautiful songs, um, but with Michael Kamen, who also came from a rock and roll background, the marriage, and they get along famously, and the marriage between Michael and Queen, especially Brian May, uh, was wonderful. You know, see, like, for example, Who Wants to Live Forever? The song will start, and then it will transpose, and then Michael will take over the melody with an orchestra and then back to the song. It's just like it was perfect marriage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some, sometimes those things you can't plan. It just happens. You go like, oh my God, the child oh. turned out quite good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was really interesting to see uh, Bohemian Rhapsody all these years later, which used Who Wants to Live Forever, but obviously um, right. in a in a more sort of emotional way about Freddie himself. Um yeah, of course yeah, the, it, the, the, the timeline in that movie is all sort of screwed up, as you know. But yeah. that's all right. It's, it's a good film. It's a good yeah. film. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. But yeah, it was it was nice. It was nice to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the tagline obviously was "There can be only one," and there was certainly not only one when it came to Ireland. But you know, when we you were talk, making, we it, don't talk about number two. We don't talk about number two. Okay, no. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna gently skirt there, there around that question. No, no, let's let's put it this way: it was a mistake. Yeah, yeah. I okay. I mean, I still can't get my head around what no, don't, <laughs> that no, whole don't even try. That whole thing. Um, Big mistake. But, but from from your perspective, this is before two comes along. You've made Highlander. Did yeah. that feel like that was it? You know. The, End of story. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing more to see here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it did. I mean, it was, um, and 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 possibly, uh, especially these days when people love franchises, um, the smart thing would have been is to put a little Easter egg thing in there that sort of allowed there to be a sequel. Yeah. Um, in the fact that I don't know what it is, but anyway, you. It, there, but there wasn't. It was basically cut and dry. He became he became mortal. Bang! He'd won the prize. Everyone else is dead, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. um, so 
yes. So then we had them come from another planet. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Um, Zeist, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, these, if it was written these days, probably uh, there would be um, that Easter egg hmm. where you flash back. It'd be like the Agatha Christie stories where you, you flash back and you say, oh, I saw he, he hid the gun. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there was this that you, you, there was the Renegade version of Highlander Two, wasn't there? That came I out. Know, yes, was I that, guess it was. Did, were you? I thought that was yours. I thought that was you yeah, reclaiming I, I, it. I guess it was. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I, I, I thought maybe it meant you've kind of made your peace with Highlander Two in some no, way because of no, that. Okay, no, you can't really because it is it is rather silly. Well, it is. It's, it is interesting. I'd, just be- I'd like those nine months of my life back. Actually. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's funny because having you know uh, what I say about Highlander is totally true. But I've not, I've not been on the Highlander train ever since. Do you know? I kind of, I've not right watched the TV show or, or you know, I kind of, I, yeah. Obviously, and I even both- even after even after the um, what I'd say the disaster disaster two, hmm. they then asked me to do number three. What? <laughs> no, no, no. But they was quite serious about um, doing number three. I mean, wow. yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Which interestingly, yeah. of course, number three just pretends number two didn't happen. Which is, which is probably a very good thing to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that's a first in sequels or three calls, but anyway, anyway. Yeah. But but um, you mentioned if they did it now. Dot dot dot. So so. There is a, a, a remake apparently in the works. A reboot. So, uh, a reboot. reboot. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, of course. Uh, Chad Stahelski, uh directing apparently. Henry Cavill has said he wants yeah. to play the lead, who one might yeah. assume is Connor McLeod. We we don't know. Well, absolutely. So, and I've, uh, and I, I I have said them my best. Um, oh, you have. And yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's a, a great director. Um, and Henry be really good. In it, um, you know, let's. Be, I hope they do it. I mean, uh, there's been talk of this reboot for the last fifteen years. Yeah, maybe more. Um, and but this one's it might be a little bit more serious. Okay, okay, more more of a dark night, if you will. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and you know, I mean, they probably won't have they won't show the wires when they pull them up in the sky. <laughs> which is which is one of the sort of the the charming things about uh, my movie is that um, over all after all these years, I don't think they've even managed to CG out the wires at the end. Right. I, I don't know. I haven't seen this new version, <laughs> this new four K, um, which um, you know I have. I don't know if they've CG the wires out, but there's part of its charm, I guess. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, seeing Christoph hanging there on wires. <laughs> I mean, if it makes you feel any better, you can see the wires in Blade Runner. You know, with the uh, with the where right. the spinner lifts off. Although actually, okay. I, or you could, but again, Rid- 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 Ridley being Ridley, he's probably gone in and removed them now in some version yes. or another. Yes. But, uh, yes, 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 yes. That was the, that was the days when um, yeah, we people threw around on wires. Yeah, mm. they still do now, but you get rid of the wires. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you have any advice then for for Chad and for Henry? Any sort of like uh, golden golden nuggets of, of of advice? You know, I mean, it's it is it's an it's an action fantasy, but I think the thing that drove the film and is I think makes the film work is 
is a tragic romance. I mean, it's. Um, mm. I, I think don't lose that. Um, uh, it's it's fine to have all these sort of the action and the CG and go crazy with all that. Absolutely, like let your hair down. And and he he's wonderful doing that. Um, but I would just hope that they keep that unique um, romance that's in the film. Yeah. You know, to me, I think that's its heart and soul. Okay. Well, well, just so just just to wrap up then, just to just okay. to, to, to finish up, just to wrap up. Yep. Just 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 the, just the last thing, really. I suppose the the, the nice neat bow to wrap around it all. <laughs> um, how would you describe your relationship with you know Highlander that first film? Now, I mean, you know, how do you feel about it all these years later? What where, where are you? Thirty six years later. Yeah. My God. Um, I, I I'm I'm proud of it. You know, I mean, it's uh, I mean, it's got its flaws, and uh, but I want let them let you know what what I think they are. But no, I mean, I'm proud of it. I think it works. Um, uh, yeah, nothing, 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 yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good memories. Good memories. Good time. Um, and uh, I'm very very glad I did it. And yeah. I was just like I said, there's a lot of people who worked on the film. That I had the pleasure to work with, um, and those memories too of working with those, those fabulous talent, uh, both in front and behind the camera. Uh, those memories are really I cherish. Hmm. So yeah, to me, it was one of the one of the, one of the greatest film experiences I've ever had. Uh, you know, I, I can assure you, having having come back to it for the first time in quite a few years, actually. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, it was, uh, it was, it wasn't simply an exercise in nostalgia for me. I was just like, wow, yeah, actually, this is still, this is still really, this is still really fun. Um, oh, and uh, Russell, thanks so much for your time. Uh, thank you very much. It's been great going been down this particular memory lane with you. Um, and uh, yeah, um, let's just say fingers crossed for, for the next Highlander. <laughs> well, there you go. I, I wish them all the best. Okay, so that was Russell Mulcahy. I am looking forward to listening to that interview and then texting Dan and going, Dan, what the fuck were you doing? <laughs> Let's talk about Highlander. It's a kind of magic, isn't it? In, in that a movie that has so many flaws. <laughs> oh, no, actually, hang can, on now. Can, can still have a, a, a real sense of, of, of wonder to it. Yeah. I, and that, that's one of the things I, I keep coming back to about this movie. I love it. I love the fact it feels so. It feels. It feels like something alchemical happened here. Dan. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I kind of. I. 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 I hadn't watched it in quite a few years when I when I rewatched it. You know, f for this. Um, and and I was actually surprised at how much I I still enjoyed it. And actually, I was also surprised at how much I was still impressed at a lot of the visual work in it. Uh, you know, I think Mulcahy does mm. a really good job. I mentioned this to, to to him. You know, the transitions between eras, the way the way it, it you know transitions between uh, you know eighties New York, 80, New York in nineteen eighty five, and sixteenth century Scotland, and it's it's just really interesting. And and it does have this kind of. I mean, you know, some people say this is a criticism, but it, it certainly had the energy and inventiveness of his music video work, which I think if there's one Russell Mulcahy music video that everyone should see is Wild Boys, Duran Duran's Wild Boys, which... Wild Boys! Exactly, which is a brilliant music video. And, and you know, that that kind of... Uh, the, the talent he showed in that is, is fully in evidence in Highlander. Um, so I actually think... It's it's too easy to just go. Oh, you know, actually, 
it is a bit rubbish really, isn't it? I actually think it's a lot better than people give it credit for. And I absolutely love the concept. I, I just can't fault the concept. It's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant idea of there being secret immortals dueling through the ages. It was, in, it was in, such a good idea. Yeah, it was influenced by Ridley Scott's The Duelists, actually, which I it was. And, and I'm I'm kind of annoyed at myself for not asking Mulcahy about this. There's that little there's that little bit. There's a kind of a little that looks like it's just taking the piss out of the duelists, which is the, the bit where he turns up drunk to the duel and uh, shoot him. Yeah, that bit, <laughs> which uh, I think is a direct thing. But anyway, but you know, so it was it was inspired by the duelists, but it's just like, hey, let's take the idea of the duelists, except stretching it over 500 600 years um and uh, yeah so so i it, it just totally got me and i liked the way it was never explained why they're immortal how they're immortal you know what's going on and and there, there wasn't anything in it about them all being from a planet called zeist you know i i really like that <laughs> the sort of like the mystery was great and and as 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 a self-contained there can only be one movie it was, it was, I just thought it was, yeah, it was not perfectly formed, but certainly damn entertainingly mm. formed. Highlander 2 is one of the great, terrible retcons, isn't it, Jimbo? It, I mean, it's, it's an abomination, yeah. It's set in the future. <laughs> it brings back Sean Connery because they were like, does it really work with Christopher Lambert? I think we need Sean back. Let's just resurrect him. It's, and Sean Connery needed lots of money. Indeed, <laughs> so it all worked he, out well. He didn't need it, he just wanted it. The thing is, like, so, so watching this again for this upset me quite a lot because I had always had Highlander filed in my head under great film, classic, timeless classic, brilliant film. And then you watch it again, you're like, yeah, like <laughs> it, it's not good. I mean, I, I'm with Dan in that I have enormous affection for this. And to the extent that not even just for this film, like uh, the second one aside, I genuinely enjoyed uh, Highlander 3. I have seen all of the Highlander 3, 3 films. I've watched every single episode of every single TV series for Highlander, except for the animated one. Uh, I watched all of the Raven and I watched the Adrian Paul one. I actually think Adrian Paul makes a much better Highlander than Christopher Lambert, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so going, going back to this, I was a little bit unprepared for how rough around the, red, the edges it is. It's a product of its era. It's not like it's badly made. It's just, you know, from the Foley artistry to the really shocking ADR all the way through it, to the choreography, which at times doesn't actually exist. There is a helicopter shot of them dueling on top of a sort of a promontory, this sort of large boulder thing. And I get that it was probably quite dangerous to be up there, but they have got their feet planted still and they're just waving these swords up and down and just sort of tapping them against each other, presumably for fear they will plummet to their deaths. Um, but it, I mean, you know, in a world where now we have, you know, David Leach choreographing within an inch of his life, like it doesn't quite cut it. If you know what I mean, you know, if you even look at the, the sort of the, the star Wars prequels, like the, the sword fighting choreographer in there is, is really incredible. And there's almost no effort to choreograph this. It's just cut, 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 cut. It's always oh, Clancy Brown swinging a broadsword, cut, cut, cut. Um, so I think it, it lost some of its magic for me watching it, but. The concept of this is so strong. I think it shines through everything else. The idea of these immortals, the ideas, you know, the rules about holy ground and all of this stuff is fleshed out a lot more to, to, for better or worse in the series. But it still stands here. And it's, it's amazing that this was like a UCLA writing project. And none of that stuff was in it anyway. Like it was all, it's all kind of evolved over time. But it, mm. it has some really good stuff in it. It really does. And it also has some really bad stuff in it as well. <laughs> Well, let's let's focus on the good for the time being, shall we? Uh, what's the what's what's the one thing you think about when you think about this movie, apart from mangled accents? <laughs> <laughs> but then, even 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 that is, I mean, you know. But I, and again, sorry, I'm just repeating what I said 
in the interview, assuming you don't cut it out, Chris, um, uh, is is I think my favourite line in the whole film is is when the cop says to him, you know, uh, where's that accent? You know, hey Nash, where's that accent from? Where are you from? And Christophe Flambert goes, lots of different places. Different places. You know, kind of like, <laughs> and, and, and I was just like, they, so what, well, what, there you what, go. Yeah, what's Sean Connery's excuse? Yeah, well, I don't know. He's, Sean <laughs> Connery is, is always Sean Connery. What can you say? Whether he's Russian or, you know, American Irish or whatever. But um, so I, I kind of thought that, that I thought that it was fair enough. What the hell? Fuck it. Cast a Frenchman as a, as a Scotsman and, and just go with it. But yeah, no, I kind of... I. I I, as I said, the kind of my favorite bits are the bits in the Highlands. You know, my favorite stuff is the the origin story, if you like, um, when he's you know discovering he's got this ability and he's treated as a you know he's outcast because you know obviously ooh, witchcraft uh, and he's driven out of his home and then of course he has his you know he falls in love with Heather and um and 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 and, and, you know lives that life with her (laughs) and meets ramirez and trains with him in that kind of batman begins ish to be anachronistic about it uh way Um, yes that's right it 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 took from batman begins yeah they totally ripped (laughs) off nolan i mean who i can't believe i mean what's going on yeah i know i know but you know whatever i mean that's just nolan for you everyone rips off nolan even before he started making movies and actually, interestingly, this and this this came up. Uh, it was originally going to be called the Dark Knight. So there you go. Uh, the original title for Highlander was the Dark Knight. So the the the, the Batman parallels are there all the way. But yeah, so so I, I, that stuff I like. The stuff in New York, I'm not so keen on. Uh, it doesn't. I mean, his relationship with 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 Brenda, I didn't really uh dig i mean you know obviously as a 15 year old it was like kissing but uh (laughs) now it's 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 like yeah it kind of i don't really feel the uh the the magic of of that relationship particularly in fact the the kind of the relationships uh aspects of this are problematic across the board there's a moment where kurgan is in his hotel room and a prostitute comes in named candy and uh she does not bat an eyelid at the fact that he is standing there with this great big fuck-off broadsword in his hand, which you would think for any seasoned prostitute would be the definition of a red flag. Do you know what I mean? Like, what? This guy's got a massive great sword. He's standing there. He's terrifying. All the way through, old old Kurgan is, is a little bit tricky. Uh, are you really... I mean... Are you going out on a limb here and trying to cancel the Kurgan? Yes, I'm cancelling the Kurgan. I know it's controversial. This is your big thing that you're bringing to the podcast. I'm sorry, the Kurgan's had his own way too long. (laughs) Sorry. I've been watching the movie Highlander, and I think the Kurgan's problematic, you guys. <laughs> but you see, this is all this is all telling. You see, this is the one of the interesting questions that the, 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 the film explores: is what happens to you if you don't die? If you can live dozens and dozens of lifetimes, what kind of person are you? What do you become? So the Kurgan is someone who is a life without consequence. He can do what he likes. He can have what he likes. He can take what he likes. Um, and and so he's, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a slightly naff line where it's like, oh, you know, the power has driven him insane. But I, I, I read it more as this kind of like, this is why he can't get the, the prize at the end of the game because that's that's terrible. And 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 then you had the question, and this is, this is the, I remember, I remember thinking and talking about this with my friends at the time when I was, when I first watched it, which is an interesting thing. Why does Ramirez train Connor, mm. right? At some point in the future, they are going to, let's just say, whatever, fine, the Kurgan gets killed. And it ends up being those two, right? And they've got to fight each other. 
but it's the knowledge. You see, this is good. This is what good means, right? It means training someone so that you know if they kill you, the world is still in good hands, you know? So, so you've got that really interesting thing. So I, the Kurgan, obviously, his behavior is lamentable. And if the film were made today, I'm sure the character would be handled differently. But, you know, it's, 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 it's explained. You know, he is uh, a total, you know, degenerate. I don't think that's the reason why he's like, I think that there are actually lines in the film about how his people are, you know, they throw babies to dogs for sport. Like, I think he comes from a long line of sociopathic people from the steppes of Russia, doesn't he? So but he I'm could not have sure it's the immortality that's driven him that way. You know, he could have, he could have, he could have mellowed, he could have chilled yeah, out. Exactly. You know, we get older, <laughs> we get a bit, a bit like, oh, you know, whatever. Just, just, just forget it. I'll just, just chill out. I don't know. I think, I think, uh, okay, this is an interesting little tangent. I, I, I think the Kurgan is one of the the great villains of the of the eighties. Yes, you know Clancy Brown is is utterly iconic. I had the pleasure of hosting a Q and A with him on stage and Christopher Lambert a few years ago, wow. and he was just. I mean, he's 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 an amazingly lovely guy as well. Do not be put off by the fact that he's Byron Hadley in Shawshank, or that he is, you know, the Kurgan in this, or you know, any number of of villains over the years. He's such a lovely, lovely guy. But it is such an incredible performance. I mean, you could you could maybe quibble with certain aspects of character choices. I mean, you know, does it show a lack of imagination on the part of, you know, Mulcahy or Gregory Wyden or or Peter Bellwood and Larry Ferguson, who are the writers who came in and kind of punched up Wyden's original screenplay and original concept? You know, you could you could argue all day that the Kurgan has spent centuries just kind of fucking around doing nothing of consequence except as far as I can tell inventing heavy metal that's all he's done <laughs> whereas you know could you have had a more interesting villain who actually inserted himself into the very upper echelons of society and began pulling the strings and you know increasing your energy bills and you know and doing whatever it is that evil people do these days that could have been a more interesting you know, demonstration of the Kurgan's smarts and power. As it is, he just seems to been kind of wandering around aimlessly, stabbing people and and just being an absolute dickhead for the last 400 years or so. He's punk rock, isn't he? But, but the character himself <laughs> is tremendous. But, you know, he could have gone through a phase of that and got bored of it. We don't know. We don't know everything he did. True. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe that's, that's, you know, maybe there's deleted scenes of, of, of him, you know, become joining the, the, whatever, the government in the 19th century, perhaps, or something. Yes. But uh, yeah, I love the Kurgan. I think he's fantastic. What you said that he, that maybe there's a flaw in his character that means that he might not be able to, uh, to, to win the prize at the end. What, what is that flaw in his character? Apart from obviously all the flaws in his character. No, no, I didn't. I didn't mean that he he had a flaw that meant he wouldn't win the prize in the end. I meant that if he won the prize, then obviously, and they say this in the film, it's bad for the whole world because he is such a, you know, asshole. Yes, that would be bad. Yeah, that would be very, very bad. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um. So then we have uh, so the Kurgan. He's he's a definite standout from the film. Mm -hmm. What about what about your 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 man? The main man, and by the main man, I mean, of course, Sean Connery, <laughs> as as Ramirez, the world's least convincing Egyptian. Uh, I have to say, fair play to me. He doesn't even attempt to do the accent. No, no. But why should he? He's Sean Connery. How do you, I mean? How do you do do uh, an Egyptian by way of Spain? Like that's quite a complicated bit of accent work at the best of times. So I think he was right not to bother. Yeah, it could have sounded a bit bad. Hearing him say the word pendejo to, to Conor McLeod is a low point of the film. <laughs> I, really? Does he say that? 
He does. He goes, pendejo. It's like, oh dear, dear, Sean. No, come on, seriously. It must have not registered. Oh my gosh. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I almost want to go special. back. I, I want to go back to those scenes again just to try and spot where he says it because I t- totally didn't register with me uh, clearly. Because if you say pendejo in a Scottish accent, clearly it just does not sound like you're saying pendejo. Oh, oh man. But yeah, no. Again, when he, you know the film really comes alive when he turns up. I think as, as I said earlier, just he just gives you gives you some nice training montages. Uh, you know, you've got the ex- the whole you know bit of exposition going on and everything and who who better to do that than Sean Connery well other than I guess Morgan Freeman uh, or Patrick Stewart but yeah uh, he's and he's got a great costume he does have a great costume I very much enjoy it it's a good look it's a good look and and he doesn't ever really get out of it you know every other character goes through various different looks because they obviously live for longer but we only <laughs> ever see we only ever see him in his kind of you know his whatever burgundy doublet I don't know what, 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 I'm not very good at archaic clothing terminology but uh, pearl earring yeah and he's you know and he looks good with long hair i think connery i think yeah. we should you know it's like 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 at the beginning of, of the rock you know he looked much better at the start medicine of the rock. man <laughs> oh medicine man obviously connery uh ramirez you know he is ticking uh lots of boxes in the joseph campbell playbook <laughs> um you know, all he is in many, many ways. All of them, all yeah. of them, in fact. Uh, he is the Obi-Wan Kenobi of this movie and as such uh, exits a movie stage left in order to give our hero uh, a bit of a life lesson and give him the uh, the motivation that he needs. And also I like that you get to see, you know, other, at least, at least uh, Connor has one other ally, one other friend that he meets, played by Hugh Quashie, um, who uh, pops up a little too briefly. I, you know, I kind of... Again, sort of rewatching the film, the stuff, the stuff that really interested me was kind of like showing these snippets from his mm. lives, different lives. It's kind of like again, I was reminded of it again by um, uh, the Sandman with the uh, um, Sound of a Wings episode with Hob Gadling, and you get that um, just that just amazing sequence which just goes, you know, starts in I can't remember fourteen eighty nine and ends today, uh, and you kind of see the the same characters appearing in different ways across different time periods. And to me, I guess, I guess part of my enjoyment of that would have been rooted in seeing the way that Highlander portrayed, you know, Connor at different times. So we see him in the Second World War. We see him in like, like what looks like Regency England, that kind of time. And obviously in that, back in the 16th mm. century. So, uh, you know, and I, I just think that for me, there's a real, real thrill there and kind of a shame, you know, you didn't get to get to see Ramirez in earlier periods, may, 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 maybe, because he was like thousand, he was like already about what? A thousand and something years old by the 16th century. Yeah, he, 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 yeah, he, he, do, he does say that at one point that he's been knocking around for, for quite some time. Yeah. So is that, is that also part of why he trains up Connor a little bit? Maybe he's a little bit old, a little bit past it, doesn't feel like he can. I mean, he's immortal, so. Yeah, but still, yeah, but you'd imagine that you're still somewhat, like if you're immortal it's, it's about when you become immortal isn't it so yeah. if you become immortal at a time when you have varicose veins and hemorrhoids then you're going to suffer yeah you're going to suffer from varicose veins and hemorrhoids every day and he's like oh Jesus Christ another day, so maybe he's a bit like that so he's you know he's grooming someone yeah okay yeah I hadn't really thought about that because I guess maybe yeah I don't know the law I'm not sure about the details of the law because obviously the film itself is is quite vague on a lot of things but um but maybe the point is maybe it's the point where you're supposed to have died 
is when you first awaken as as an immortal. So it would have meant that Ramirez, that happened to Ramirez a lot later in his life. So he does like, like vampires get stuck at the age when he's turned, so to speak. Mm. Um, but it's Sean Connery. I mean, at that age, he was at the prime of his life. He was, you know, fitter and better looking and and more sexually adept than anyone here. <laughs> I love the sexually adept. We all dream of being sexually adept. Uh, yeah. yeah. Jimbo, anything else to say about, about Sir Sean before we, we move on? Uh, no, he was at, he's the heart and soul of this, I think, uh, more than anything else. It's a, it's a real shame. When he leaves, when he is separated from his head by the Kurgan, on, <laughs> while being struck by lightning on top of a sort of like ruined castle where they've chosen to live, uh, it, is, it is a sad moment in this. But uh, And it'd be nice to see more of him. I'd like to have seen him, as Dan said, in, in multiple different eras. I think actually that's where the series does really well in this because the series, the whole format of this series, which is quite procedurally based, was, you know, uh, Duncan MacLeod, as Adrian Paul was called, would encounter an immortal and then it would flash back to his previous dealings with them in the past. So you get to see him in all kinds of different eras with all kinds of different people. Uh, and that was essentially the, the concept of the whole show. And they, they, this whole mythology that you speak of was fleshed out, again, for better or worse, a lot more in the series. Some of it was quite clunky and didn't make any sense. But clunky. Indeed. I never, I never watched the TV show, which, which it just never appealed, or attra- appealed to me or attracted me. I, I think probably this was still from the time when, I don't know, a lot of TV was quite naff. Um, and if there was a TV spin-off of a movie, it, it wasn't usually a good sign. You know, the fact that it was a TV spin-off from a movie wasn't usually encouraging. Um, so I kind of just didn't bother with it. Um, but of course, by that point, I was a little bit older and I was way cooler. Way cooler. So, <laughs> Fair <yeah>. enough. <laughs> I, was, I was too busy, you know, out partying, you know, going to raves and stuff. Yeah, I was 100% in my bedroom watching Highlander. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't remember when I first watched this, but it would have, it would have been in the mid-80s. Would have would have been when it came out on, on video. Oh, VHS uh, all the way. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I hired it out a bunch of times, though. Did yeah. you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was, I, I'd, have, I'd have a bunch of films that I would just get quite regularly, and this was always one of them. Yeah. Highlander was on rotation with Robocop, Aliens... You know, um, yeah, all of that stuff. Uh, Hellraiser, <laughs> that, that sort of lethal that, weapon. That, that, yeah, it, that exactly. Lethal weapon. Die Hard. It, it, it was just. It was one of those. Just let's come back to it again and again and again. Predator. So I'm just going to keep saying random film titles for the it's rest. Just of random this, 80s uh, movies. Yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but no, it's Highlander was one of those films. Um, so yeah, it's it's, and I I I, I, mean, I guess if if we're all we're all completely honest, it's it does hasn't aged as well as. For example, whatever RoboCop or um, no, it has or aliens or the Terminator, which you know, which there's a lot of the Terminator in this. It it, it feels a bit like the Terminator came out and did really, really well, and studios started looking for Terminator-like scripts because the Kurgan feels very Terminatory, even the way he dresses as well. Yeah, like, certainly in the modern era. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a straight ripoff because well, obviously we know it was in development long before that, and you know. But I, I, I certainly feel that they went, oh, this, this could be another Terminator. So let's do that. Let's get it into production. You know, because it came along fairly quickly after, after Cameron's movie. So there's a lot of DNA in this one. But I tell you what, Highlander's got that none of these other films we've mentioned have. Queen. Queen. 
<laughs> I don't think I don't think that's a good thing. I have to be honest. Like the that's Queen, a great thing. Honestly, on, the Queen James. involvement of this is actually one of the things about Highland that has always bugged the hell out of me. I'm not a fan of Queen. I don't like Queen at all. And it's just so much Queen in this. It's just a bit overwhelming. It's almost like they wrote the soundtrack. It's almost it's like they wrote the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it was it was yeah, Michael, it was it. it was Michael Kamen and Queen, uh, and I, I think they worked together very well. Who wants um, to live forever? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not quite up there with Flash Gordon. I would say in terms of I disagree. In terms of Queen dominated I soundtracks, I think I think this is a better Queen soundtrack than Flash than Flash Gordon. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I would agree. With I, that. I think I'm not I'm not a massive Queen fan. You know, I I I am au fait with a lot of their work, but uh, you know, I couldn't name you every Queen album. You know, the best I, I, of I haven't Queen. watched Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> the very best of Queen. Uh, <laughs> there's there's more truth in that than you think, because isn't <laughs> isn't Queen's greatest hits one of the biggest selling albums of all time? But I love this soundtrack unreservedly. I think A Kind of Magic is my favorite Queen song. No way. Um, and I. Yeah, whenever whenever it came out in the eighties, I was in love with that song and in love with that video. And it's just it's just great, you know. Freddie's voice sounds amazing, Brian May's little guitar licks. There's always a real fun about Queen as well, because, you know, we tangentially have worked for many, many years with a PR who is the <laughs> son of one of the members of Queen, which is, so, which is really weird. And I've never asked him about it. I've never asked him about it. I'm not going to say his name or who he's related to, but I've never asked him because I've always just felt like it feels off limits Yeah, in a, in a way. Oh, I agree. But, uh, yeah. but it's, still, it's still pretty cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, 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 and there's, there's that great moment. I don't think now... Someone might correct me on this, but I don't think this is actually on the soundtrack. But there, there's that Queen cover version of uh, New York, New York as well, which is which is <laughs> kind of woven in there. It's when the Kurgan's on his rampy, big rampage, just doing what the fuck he likes. Driving his car around with old ladies hanging what, off the bonnet and stuff like that. that. Like, what, when he's doing that, playing chicken with us and running over, what is going on with that sequence? He doesn't care. He thinks he's about to become the most powerful person in the world and nobody can, nobody can touch him. He does not care by this point. That's why. That's the whole thing. Um, anyway, it's like, you know, I guess there's your Terminator parallel there again. It's just, it's just an antagonist who's, who's, you know, the law, the world, the, 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 the rules of the world don't mean anything to them. They've got one single minded purpose, but, but anyway, the queen, you know, the queen accompaniment to that moment, I, I think is, is, is really good. It's, it's, uh, and it's crazy that like, the idea of, you know, the very thought of the queen, you know, um, covering Frank Sinatra, but, uh, it just, it just works. God damn it. It works. It works. It totally, totally works. Uh, I love, I love the Queen uh, contribution. Uh, what about? Oh, here's a great segue. What about our French King, though? Uh, what about Christophe Lambert? Christophe. Christopher Lambert. Uh, what about what about him as Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod? Uh, obviously, cast at the time, he was he had just been made a big noise by the likes of Luc Besson's Subway mm-hmm. and, of course, Greystoke. In which he barely speaks, and uh, you know he's got a very pronounced French Swiss, Swiss French Swiss accent. He does. He does. Uh, he does speak in, in, in Grey Stoke. He says "oh, oh" a lot, doesn't he? Ape together strong. Yes. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but what, what do we make of him? Because it, it feels to me over the years, 
Uh, he has become a bit of a figure of fun because of the accent thing. But if you can set that aside for a second, what do you think about his performance as Connor McLeod? I like it. I, I actually, I mean, I, I really like Greystoke as well. So I was aware of him, um, you know, but from that, uh, I, I mean, Subway, I didn't see, see, see till years later. But um, I I totally accept. I mean, a lot of the criticism this film gets gets directed, gets aimed at uh, Lambert. Um, but I think it, partly his look, and this is the main reason he got he got cast was was for his look. Uh, according to Mulcahy, he, he he didn't he still didn't speak a word of English when he started making the film. But um, I don't, I don't know how true that is. But uh, or you know how. I imagine he would have started learning English when he was doing Greystoke. But anyway, not that I'm calling Mulcahy a liar. Sorry, sorry, Russell. But, um, um, oh, God. <laughs> wow. Oh, God. But no, he <laughs> said it was- an unexpected direction. It, yeah. Yeah, sort of just reverse. No, um, he, his look is amazing because he's got, the, he's, he was super short-sighted. He couldn't see it all without his glasses. But he does have this look of someone who's seen everything, you know, He's kind of... Uh, it's too late. He's seen everything. Yeah. <laughs> he's seen it all. You know, he's he's lived yeah. through the years, through the centuries. And, and and also, he's not... I mean, he... And apparently, I think, in, in earlier versions of the script, he, he's a very gloomy person, Connor McLeod. You know, he's... Yeah, and, I, and, and they brought... And I think, I think Lambert brings this out well. They gave him... They, they brought some wit. You know, it's kind of... He's not... He's not so worn down by everything you know he's still got a bit of sense of humor um and and i think i think lombard has a bit of bit of a sparkle there um which which you know it it, it works for me i thought he was a cool dude again i'm just going to go back to who i was when i was really into this film as a kid and i just thought he was really cool and you know i wanted a raincoat i wanted to wear a raincoat like he wore a rain, raincoat with a with a katana hidden what, underneath jeans it. and white trainers <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, actually, I mean, we're talking the mid to late eighties. Absolutely, yeah, a raincoat yeah. with jeans and white trainers. Why not? That was that was that was the cool look. Um, I know. I, I throw in some fingerless gloves, of course. Yeah, just when we first meet him, obviously, that is how he's dressed, isn't it? He's at the wrestling. He's sitting there the way it's lit. You know, there's there's, there's WWF era wrestling going on, and he's sitting there completely motionless while everyone goes berserk around him with a little bit of light on his face to stand him out. And the camera kind of pans in on him. Mm. I mean, that's our first look at him mm. as Conor McLeod. And then you Great get that shot. fantastic, like when he runs into Fasil in the in the parking lot and you have the first duel. And I just love the bit where Springs has gone from Fasil, for reasons known only to himself, just does a series of inexplicable <laughs> backflips across the car park. And you're just like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it's amazing and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, that that opening is great. It's a composite shot. I thought it was because when I when I saw it again, it's like, oh wow, did they actually shoot at Madison Square Garden? And then they got Christopher Lambert sitting up in the crowd. But no, it's a composite shot. Oh, he is it? Completely, oh, I didn't yeah, that. he was in a completely different uh, location, and it's a very very subtle, very very good blending of uh, of two different shots, uh, which is which is tremendous. But uh, yeah. There's a reason why I think he is so gloomy and glum and sitting there in silent contemplation. It's because he's got a great big bloody sword somehow secreted <laughs> about his person, and it must be like digging. <laughs> like he has to go with that thing everywhere. Like where does he get the sword from? When when Fasil pops up out of nowhere, the stuntman Peter Diamond uh, plays Fasil. You know, now sadly no longer with us, uh, both character and Peter Diamond, and then they have a big old fight. And I always wondered, oh, is it a collapsible sword? No, it's not. 
It's not a collapsible no, sword. So where is the sword when he's sitting down? I mean, what a silly idea to have in a film. Somebody having a collapsible sword, a sword that they could break down into pieces and put in a briefcase, for example, <laughs> that they would then open up and assemble like it's a sniper rifle or something like that. Yeah. Um, that would be absolutely daft. They would never do that in a film, would they? <laughs> It's the one bit where I just, yeah, it, it annoys me too much because the whole idea of, of having a sword whose blade came in sections that have slotted together, I mean, all you have to do is swing it a bit too hard one time and just like yeah, half of it would just off. go flying off. Silly. Silly, Kurgan. Yeah. To answer your question, Chris, I, I, I guess that Conor McLeod has somehow managed to, over the of years, the uh, use, use his, his powers to craft a pocket dimension. <laughs> which which he forgets about which is why he stashes his sword in a pipe for uh yeah. for uh, the police to find or <laughs> or or yes yeah, that's that a later. smart move because they don't yeah. find it do they and no, also they don't never find be caught it. with right. a murder weapon right. so yeah no he uh he stashes yeah. his sword wisely because yeah. he runs away from the exact scene of the murder and hides it at the other end of the car park <laughs> and then drives like a bat out of and hell then, yeah, the car which park. Was utterly foolish could we talk about the police brutality as well like they're all kind of guns blazing and like attacking him and whatnot yeah. but then having said that the other that is true doesn't he punch multiple police officers during the course yeah, of his interrogation does. and there he are does, no yeah. consequences for that apparently yeah also they arrest him even though they have no grounds to yeah, arrest like him. i'm arresting you for being here it's unclear driving out of a car park is the thing yeah. i think they've got him on yeah yeah, and but what he does, he 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 gets ma he gets manhandled by the police, and he punches the cop. He punches the cop yeah. then. Uh, but mm. you know, whatever he he don't care. Yeah, damn the man. Listen, uh, we don't have a lot of time left, so we should talk about some of the things that uh, are just uh, fun about this movie. Uh, there's little 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 detours, like the um, the guy who gets shot by the Kurgan and then is pivotal in identifying the Kurgan with the cops, yeah. which, which just yes. feels like a batshit detour. Yeah, the survivalist. Just so <laughs> this yeah. MAGA guy with his Uzi, yeah. I mean, what's up with that? That's that's wild, that plot development. Uh, there's young Celia Imri yes. in this movie. Who who turns against Connor quite venomously, I actually. I always... I, Really nastily turns against him. I mean, you know, so but then harsh, she, she, isn't it? Yeah, she genuinely thinks he's the devil now. So I guess you know, whatever. But it's it's like everything she loves has been, you know, rather than being happy that he's like whatever resistant to being stabbed, um, uh, she's she's she, she, she's very annoyed at him. But also, you've got James Cosmo in those early yes. scenes as the nice one, the one who's a bit like, ah, oh, sorry, mate. Oh, let's not burn him. And also, my, one of my favourites, another another minor player in this film. John Polito. John Polito always put one in the brain. Yeah, John Polito. And it's weird because it's 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 pre-rotundity, pre-boredness, John Polito. So it's kind of like really odd. You you, you kind of don't think, is that? That's not that's not Johnny Casper, is it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> um and I you know, I love John Polito from his Cohen Brothers performances. So um it's mm, it's it's yeah. it's really cool seeing him in here. And of course you have uh, Alan North as the the main cop in the movie, and Alan North is Frank Drebin's partner <laughs> in the role played by George Kennedy in the Naked Gun movies, but in police squad he is Frank Drebin's partner. So it's a, it's a bit weird, there's a disconnect watching him in that. And then seeing him as a <laughs> genuine, trying genuinely trying to play a cop with a straight face. Yeah. Uh, even though there's a, there's a there's a tinge of parody about about all those scenes. Yeah. I think, but yeah, it's 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 such fun. It's 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 such a a wildly 
incoherent film, <laughs> but it is nevertheless an, an incredibly fun and ambitious one. And you, you were saying there, Dan, that I think it was you, it was either you or James, one of the two, <laughs> that was saying that, you know, part of the, uh, part of the sort of the, the, the ammunition people will, will fire this movie over the years. A lot of it comes down to Christopher Lombard and his accent. I think a lot of it comes Mulcahy's way as well, because this is, I think, the epitome of your MTV glossy, flashy visuals filmmaking from the 80s that, you know, there's there's not a great deal of substance here. There is a lot of whiz-bang for your buck and it is a lot of, you know, fairly dated visual effects now. But re-watching the film again recently, it just made me smile at some of the flourishes that it is a filmmaker kind of just taking wild swings. And I think that sometimes you have to, you know, you have to let little things like the story making sense <laughs> fall by the wayside in favour of the at times quite striking visuals. So I think Mulcahy doesn't always deserve the shit that comes his way. No, for not this. At all. Certainly I think it's his best movie. Yeah. Uh on a rather, shall we say, scattershot filmography. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, there's a great moment right near the end. It's the kind of like that where where he's just won and he's in this because originally that finale was going to take place on the Statue of Liberty. Uh, so they, you know, that would have spoiled the end of X-Men, but, um, <laughs> um, it was going to take place on the Statue of Liberty and it was just like, no, we've got to scale it back, scale it back. Let's do it at Silver Cup Studios. So they're basically, they're doing the last fight in an empty soundstage effectively, you know, like with, but, but they've put in these kind of glass, this glass wall behind him. And you've just got that, just that great moment where he's just basically standing on his own. He's just one and he's, he's in the middle of this huge space and the camera just comes flying in right up to his face. And, yeah. and then he says the line, there can be only one. To the camera. Yeah. To camera, to the audience. And yeah. I don't think, you know, I just think that that's a, that's a music video director's touch. And some people might not like it, but for me, that, that was just such a core Hero, yeah. you know, the the hero's coming to his own, he's one moment. And to have the glass there so they could shatter then, all the pains at once. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> and then and then and then the cables come down and he's floating on cables and, and little an, little animated cartoon ghosts start r- r- running around him. But that's the kind of stuff. I mean, it's just like it's really impactful, really stylish. And I'm, you know, I can only imagine because I didn't see it in the cinema. You know, there must have been for the because he didn't do that well. You know, for the few people that actually did go and see it in cinema before it became a cult hit on on VHS, that it, it must have had a great impact. Moments like that, they must have had a great impact. Uh, you know, I do think I think visually it's really ambitious, and um, and I'm no, I will fight. I will duel anyone <laughs> who who says different. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Good, good, good. Uh, Jimbo, the scales have fallen from your eyes somewhat, but that's 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 glue some of those scales back onto your eyes. Yeah. Uh, what what are the what are the great things for you about this movie? What really stands out? Is it is it partially the visuals? Is it the sword fights? Do we get enough sword fights? For me, it's it's actually weirdly it is the concept more than anything else that shines through. I love the idea of it so much. It's such a brilliant idea. It's it's just, it's glorious. I mean, this is why it's had legs in so many sequels and spin-offs on the TV series, series because the, the 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 idea is so strong that it lends itself to extended storytelling. There's so much in this that you think you know this 
you want to see more. Like you think of all the eras he must have lived through, what you could see. You know, there was so such fertile ground. Uh, it doesn't always land out. I mean, this has a Metacritic score of twenty four. Like it's kind of shocking. What? No, it, does it really does. No. Um, yeah, genuinely, which is massively harsh because like, I stand by the fact that this film, you know, it may not be great, but it is a classic in a way. And I think it is kind of slightly blighted by 80s production values. The Foley artistry is shocking in places, but it, it, it is it is an iconic movie. It's a great idea. It's got moments of genius in it. It's stuck in my mind. I mean, there's a must be a reason why young me, teenage me, rented this so many times. It, I couldn't get it out of my head. And even now, like going back to this, like it is burned into my brain as this like this core part of my sort of film evolution. The idea of the Highlander, um, and and I I still love it. I do still love it for all its flaws. Mm. Um, I I maybe don't think it's as good as i once thought it was but i think i enjoy it just as much for all its camp fun like it's 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 mm. it is a romp uh and it's well done and it ends it ends with a lovely picnic <laughs> it does that, but so, okay so i it's things like that do bug me like look, the prize apparently is nothing the prize is he can get old and have kids like yeah the prize is hey your sperm works all of a sudden like this is the prize and he can hear people's thoughts but that's not really a big deal it's like, I'm not quite sure how the Kurgan winning that would have brought an eternity of darkness, but carry on. Maybe the, maybe nobody told the Kurgan. <laughs> maybe, maybe nobody the, told him Maybe the Kurgan yeah. didn't, didn't get the memo. <laughs> yeah, the gift, the prize, it's sperm. Sorry, don't, don't know how to break this, do you? But, but yeah, the picnic at the end in that love story, which is just so thin yeah. and unconvincing, you know, not its best moment. That's not where this shines. The interpersonal relationships are not where this shines. It's the Kurgan. It's the Highlander. It's the various duels. It's the idea of these immortals all coming together for this one big gathering to fight to the death. Like it's just really cool. Um, and actually, the fact that Henry Cavill is remaking this, you know, yeah. assuming it actually goes ahead, but the fact that he's doing this, I I think that's brilliant because I think this is one of these things where we may have an affection for it, but I think the concept the tenet the underlying sort of concept really outshines the execution here and to take that give it a modern reworking could be a genuinely brilliant film which i'd say it could be a lot better than this one well you say henry cavill but it's actually chance to helsky uh who is going to be directing of course that henry cavill and, is not directing uh, it he is however yes the highlander uh, as things stand, yeah. And I actually spoke to, to Helsky for the most recent issue of Empire, and I said, you know, he's in John Wick land at the moment, and, you know, John Wick Chapter 5 may well be happening as well, and, you know, is this still on the docket? And he said it, it is something that he hopes to get around to one day. Uh, <laughs> can and you imagine can, what he would do with that fight choreography versus obviously what we yeah. see in this one? Like, it's a night and day situation there. Like, it would be transformational. It, yeah, it really is. And and also, you know, there, I think as great as the concept is, I think there are tantalizing possibilities that are unrealized by Highlander. There's a sense of, you know, how many of them are left? You know, what is the relationship like between them? This movie kind of gets a little bit, but in a surface level about what it would be like to be immortal and watch everyone you love die slowly. Mm. Of course, that's not that's not new to this. It's, you know, vampire fiction delves into that as well a great deal. But there's a lot of stuff that I think Stahelski would really, really nail. And uh, and and no matter how bad Cavill's Scottish accent would be, and I'm sure it would be actually very good, <laughs> it would be better than Christopher Lombert's. Here's a question. Here's a question. Yeah. So, for the original Highlander, they got Queen. They Who's did. doing the soundtrack for the reboot? Oh. Adele. Adele. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis Capaldi. <laughs> Ed Sheeran, 
Yes, Ed Sheeran. That's the answer. Oh Christ, Ed Sheeran of the of the clan Sheeran. I mean, who who is that sort of? I, I guess Muse are the closest thing we have to a queen now, aren't, Maybe. aren't, aren't they? Yeah, really? why I would. I did that. Did cross my mind. Uh, it could be. Ah. Oh. You know, Knights of Cydonia feels like a movie. It feels like a soundtrack that's been written for a Highlander film that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Muse. Okay, yeah, I can, I can, I can work with Muse. All right. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm, and, did I mention uh, I'm executive producer? Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> so it's Cavill playing McConnor McLeod, Muse doing the soundtrack, and I presume Jason Muse playing Ramirez. <laughs> is, is that where we're going with this? Uh, um, yeah. I mean, there's there's all sorts of possibilities. Liam Neeson. Yeah. Liam Neeson would be Ramirez, clearly. You know, although he's already done it as Ducard. <laughs> yes. Was, yes. Or Ra's al Ghul, who is Egyptian, apparently. <laughs> Uh, I'm now I'm confusing myself. Um, and then uh, uh, the Kurgan, the Kurgan, the Kurgan, the Kurgan, the Kurgan. The Kurgan should be played by Clancy Brown. I think oh, we just can all back. agree that. Just get him back as if nothing has happened. He could still do it. Okay. That's fair enough. That's fair all enough. All right. Well, listen, on that note, uh, time, as it is in the movie, is against us. It's time to bring this pod to an end. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be doing more retro spoiler specials whenever the whim takes us, pretty much as far as I can tell. Uh, but if you have anything you'd like us to do, then let us know. And who knows, we may get around to doing it one of these days. But in the meantime, all that remains for me now to do is to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning squadcast names. Oh, that's right, we're on squadcast today. Uh, the Kurdan, Dan Jolin. Goodbye, you Spanish peacock. It is goodbye from. James Sanchez Fialobos Fialobos Ramirez. Another time, McLeod. <laughs> Another time. And it is time to say goodbye from me, Connor McQuiet. See, Connor Mc- McLeod. It's like a Smashing Pumpkin song. It's very good. McQuiet, McQuiet, McLeod, McLeod, McLeod. Anyway. I got it. Yeah, thank you. Anyway, to quote Queen, this pod that lasts a thousand years <laughs> will soon be, will soon be, will soon be done. I'm off to my bathroom to get to grips with my Big Tam. Thanks so much for listening. See you later. What? Big Tam is Sean Connery's nickname. Don't make that face, Dan. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.